Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Well, hi everyone, this is um, Peter Hunt from McCabe Kerwood, and we're back in the Proper Lookout for a very special episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. This is episode number 50. I have with me uh, Vid and Renee, and we're going to do something a bit different today and just discuss some of our highlights of the podcast series over the last 12 months. And we're just going to have a little chat rather than a, a scripted approach. So, hi, Vid. Hi, Peter. Hi, Renee. Hello, everybody. <laughs> very good. I thought I'd start out with some stats. We've count up all the different listens over the last 12 months of the 50 episodes, and we've had about 4,200 to date, which we really are very happy about. And we've also looked at the most popular episodes, and I'll recite those to you from five to one. So the fifth most popular episode was by Eden and Tane. It was called The Hunt for the Red Corolla, Is Due Inquiry and Search Required in Stat Benefit Claims? That one had 149 listens. Then number four was by Audrey, episode number 24, Early Assessment of Minor Physical Injuries, and that one had 155 views. Number three is episode number 14 by Hamira and Eden, How Section 118 Permits Recovery of Payments Obtained Through Deception, 183 views. Coming at number two was episode 39 by Manny Jaswell, uh, Stat Benefits for Pure Mental Harm, 189 views, and Coming at number one, and by pure coincidence, it was the first episode, which I recorded, How Can No-Fault Claimants Be Denied Stat Benefits in a No-Fault Scheme? That one's had 249 views. But, guys, I think that's because it's been on the, on the page the longest. Yes. So <laughs> there's a, obviously it's had the more opportunity to be listened to rather than the other ones. Thinking back to that first recording, I can't believe how, how nervous I was recording that first episode of the podcast series, even though it was just me and a microphone in a room by myself. I remember feeling very apprehensive about how this is going to turn out because, you know, we all love our voices, of course. <laughs> and I did about three or four takes. But I remember being absolutely thrilled the day it was published. And I, I was on the train when um, the notification came through that had been uploaded and I was listening to Springsteen, so I started singing along to Badlands. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the great highlights. I just throw now to Vid to discuss one of his favourite episodes. So just going on from your initial podcast, you sort of set the tone and and the theme going forward with how we approach these things. And I think we all approach them from a feeling of apprehensiveness and listening to ourselves <laughs> and, and trying to edit the missteps that we came up to. But in the end, but in the end, the great thing that I found by doing this and listening to everyone else's podcast series and was the different views that everyone expressed and the different interpretation they they had with particularly the new scheme. There's been yeah, some old, some MACA Act cases that we've gone through that, that still have relevance that we've brought up, but it just shows that even in its infancy, we've found new things and new challenges that we can come up with here that, that we can try and push forward and show where our understanding is at. And just to touch back on the podcast that you had given Peter at number one, that set the theme for no fault claimant matters. Yep. And 
it was interesting because your podcast dealt with section 5.4 of the Maya that had gone into, that created this anomaly about no-fault claimants not being able to bring about damages claims and not being able to receive statutory benefit claims as well, yeah. or statutory benefits, sorry. And what was interesting was that the Act didn't appear to be drafted in such a way to exclude those claimants from bringing about these claims. So Andrew, in his podcast in November, I remember brought up the parliamentary amendments that were being proposed, and the good thing was that those amendments came into effect in January this year. So we've seen through this series how things have changed, not only by just looking at the legislation and, and that, but we've had people address them and, and it's really good to get it, you know, over our podcast series and, and hear it out. Excellent. So, Renee, um, what's one of your highlights? Thanks, Peter. Just touching on what Peter and Vid has said, I think it's really exciting that we have a podcast discussing all these issues at the forefront of the CTP industry, especially noting that podcasts align us with the millennial generation and helps us <laughs> to have a, a forum and a portal to communicate <laughs> to communicate these important viewpoints that are affecting our industry. One of my favorite podcasts was uh, one of yours, Peter, as you, we fondly spoke this morning yeah, yeah. about it, <laughs> about it being a, a true story. Which, um, <laughs> noting the facts of this podcast, um, I tell you, I'm sure it doesn't happen very often. Podcast number two that was recorded by Peter and Laura D'Alessandri, when Maka met Maya, pirates of Nambaka, which had 85 views, and um, I thought the the facts of the case were pretty entertaining. In that the just to refresh your your memory, listeners, the Mother and daughter were having a argument at home, which translated into what appeared to be a fairly um, lengthy argument that left the home and into the driveway, the daughter jumping into the car, reversing her car out of the driveway in a very dramatic fashion, the mother brandishing a knife, running after her egging her on to run her over. And as Laura uh, was stating in her podcast, so what happened? Did she get run over? But, you know, as it happened, the, that, that wasn't the end of the drama. It kept going. The mother then catapults what it appears, what it sounds like, onto the car and holds on, spread eagle, as Peter said. And the daughter sort of drives off. And then it appears that the, the drama dies down for a bit. And, you know, we're all left with bated breath, wondering when the injury is actually going to occur. And the, the daughter then... Eventually, from the story, then drives back into the garage at a fairly reasonable slow speed. And of course, when all the dramas die down, this is when the mother actually injures herself by knocking her knee on the wall That's right. uh, of the garage door. So no great injury occurred with the spread eagle catapult onto the bonnet or <laughs> anything to do with the knife. Just a simple brush of the knee into the garage at a slow speed. So listeners, if you want to find out more about how Maya interprets these sort of set of facts and how it relates to minor physical injuries, you're just going to have to find the podcast and listen again. Thanks, today. That was a real case which you described back, and it was back in the 1990s under, it should have been the Motor Accidents Act back then. So it's, it's two sets of um, legislation ago. That was certainly one of the early highlights of my career as a CTP lawyer. Um, going back to the podcast, one of my other favourite episodes was one by our dearly departed friend, James Kang. When I say he's departed, he's departed the country. He's, <laughs> as you, most people probably know, he's now living in 
in Seoul, in South Korea. Hi, James. Hello. <laughs> hey, James. But he did a great podcast called The Elbow Bone of Contention. And you may remember that on the website, we've actually posted his GoPro footage of him having an accident while snowboarding around this time last year. And I remember we went to a, a function, he had his arm in a sling, and we were talking about it. And he started speaking about how the tendons were stretched but not torn. And, and I thought, this sounds very familiar. Then I realized it's very similar to what the definition of a minor physical injury is in Maya and the regulations. So I encouraged him to do a podcast on whether his elbow injury would qualify as a minor injury or not. So that's what that episode is all about. And I think it's one of my, my favorites. So um, Vid, what's your next one? Well, it actually follows on from, from your uh, memory of James's podcast. I found Audrey's podcast uh, that touched upon the early assessment of minor injury or physical injuries. She took a closer look at section 1.6 of the Maya. And when I heard that podcast, I thought I better go back and have a look at the DRS decisions that have come up. And I found that they were actually a really useful tool in in looking at how minor injuries are actually classified. So I'd probably urge everyone who listens and who might want to spend a little bit of time just having a look at it and showing up their skills is just seeing how these merit reviews and <laughs> seeing how the case studies on the CIRA website uh, are brought in and have commented on what minor physical injuries are. Um, hi, listeners. I'm here to talk about my second most favourite podcast, that being podcast number five by Udipta Hoposad and Laura Delisandri entitled Settlement Shenanigans. Um, I found, (laughs) I'm sure all of us can relate to the shenanigans that go on when we're in the throes of negotiations, whether you be on the plaintiff side or the defendant side, I'm sure we've got lots of war stories to exchange. I thought this episode was particularly relatable and funny for some of the stories that were exchanged during this podcast. Some of my favorites were when one of the offers of settlement was provided, the other side wrote back with just one word, that being rejected. (laughs) (laughs) Speaks volumes, doesn't it? (laughs) Another favorite was get back to me when you're serious. I'm sure many of us have heard that when we're at settlement conferences. And one of my other favorites was uh, um, a letter came back as a defendant with, we put an offer forward of $20,000, it would be. And the plaintiff solicitor appeared to be quite appalled at that and um, thought we were missing a zero. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the interesting cases that was discussed during this podcast um, was the 2008 decision of Midlands Metals. That also had a, a pretty funny context to it, which relates to the war stories of, uh, you know, settlement shenanigans that uh, we all experience in that a Calder Bank offer was conveyed to the other side and um, the receiving party responded with one word, that being nuts. <laughs> now, <laughs> nuts. <laughs> nuts, that's it. <laughs> now, brings about a little bit of confusion. What must that mean? Is this a serious rejection or counter offer? And... Um, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and Justice Mc- <laughs> Justice McDougall pointed out some pretty interesting, made some interesting comments about Calder Bank offers that I think could apply to uh, both plaintiffs and defendants when running their cases. In that he said that the court would not look favorably upon Calder Bank offers, where it was used purely as a a platform for an application for indemnity costs instead of making a genuine compromise to try and resolve the case. 
I thought this was quite interesting because many a time you'll see a plaintiff uh, put forward an offer as a, a call to bank offer, but merely claiming what's equates to what's in the statement of particulars. And, you know, a lot of us just, you know, go on your merry way and, and work through your cases and you receive that offer and you carry on. But really, that's not a genuine offer to compromise the case. But likewise, on the insurer's side, as defendant lawyers, we would, I'm sure <laughs> Peter and Vid would agree, often would sometimes put forward a call to bank offer where you say, well, right, you are. Verdict for the defendant plaintiff to pay the costs, but that's also not. That is completely reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> However, Justice McDougall made comments saying that a better construction of an offer would be for the defendant, each party, to pay their own costs. So this really makes us turn our minds more to, you know, as much as we want to fire off those call to bank letters, sit, pause, think about whether your offer is really going to be a genuine attempt at resolving the case. I know not all our cases are going to make their way before Justice McDougall, but you never know what may happen in cases. So I think that's something that we should turn our minds to, both plaintiff and defendant lawyers, that our call to bank offers make genuine attempts to compromise. Yeah, thanks, Ray. That's very interesting. And I, I totally agree with your comments. Another episode I really enjoyed, but I don't think got the recognition that really deserved was one Andrew Gorman did. It's episode number 33, is the 10% threshold relevant under Meyer? Let me count the ways. And Andrew goes through and identifies six different provisions in which the 10% threshold is relevant in Meyer. And it's not just to do with NEL. If you want to know the other five, you'll need to um, listen to the podcast to find out. I enjoyed Eden's podcast, which also dealt with the 10% whole person impairment threshold, but from the perspective of the procedure and who actually could bring about common law damages claims. And even though Eden goes through the process and involved in, in bringing about those claims, he he actually opened up a, an interesting point with respect to minor injuries being claimed and how his interpretation of Section 4.4 of the Maya applied, where it basically says Section 4.4 provides that a damages claim cannot be made based upon minor injuries. However, Eden took the view that if there is one injury that is not classified a minor injury but 10 other injuries that are, potentially this was the gateway provision that enabled claimants to bring about common law damages claims even though they are claiming minor injuries. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to play out now given that the 20-month period is running up at, in August. So no doubt we'll probably have an answer to that pretty soon. Yeah, very good. So, Renee, what's the last one you want to um, discuss in this episode? Thanks, Peter. The last podcast I want to discuss is one that made our top five list. That's the number 39, the podcast by Mandy Jaswell, Statutory Benefits for Pure Mental Harm. This clocked in at 189 views. Now, I thought this was quite an interesting podcast as it discussed Section 3.39 dealing with the limitation of statutory benefits in respect to certain mental harm and the interplay of Part 3 of the Civil Liability Act as it applies to the payment of statutory benefits. Now, Mandy discussed the combined effect of Section 3.39 and Clause 8, especially with regards to where the primary victim was not at fault 
and how this impacts the statutory benefits. Now, if a primary victim was not at fault, then the claimant's entitled to statutory benefits beyond 26 weeks. However, if the claimant was mostly at fault, then the statutory benefits would be terminated after 26 weeks. And if partially at fault, but not mostly, then the statutory benefits would be reduced by the percentage of contributory negligence after 26 weeks. I thought this was quite an interesting concept that's been introduced by Maya. Now, she also discussed Section 3.39, which had the interplay of Section 31 of the Civil Liability Act with regards to the statutory benefits arena. And the provision that dealt with saying that there would be no liability to pay damages for pure mental harm unless the harm consists of a recognized psychiatric illness. I know a lot of us have come across this in cases that we've dealt with under MACA, where somebody could be have impacted psychologically from an accident. However, just because the diagnosis falls short, they would not be entitled to statutory benefits. We see this playing out in Maya, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with um, further cases within the um, DRS and uh, how Maya deals with it. If you want to know more, listeners, tune in to Mandy's podcast, number 39, as I said. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to all our highlights um, and our favorite podcasts. We've thoroughly enjoyed uh, having a laugh and discussing our favorite moments here. Yeah, I agree, listeners. If you've... uh had half as much fun listening to this podcast as we had recording it, then we've had twice as much fun recording this podcast as you've had listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. And uh, I just want to mention um, that last podcast, which Renee discussed of Mandy's um, to do with Section 3.39, it was one of the most popular, and I've doubled down on that popularity by addressing the same topic in Episode 49, which um, is, of course, the most recent one before this one. So looking into the future We've done our first 50 podcast episodes now for the next 50. What's next, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Renee. A couple of things. I think we'll try and do more episodes like this one where we just have a chat amongst colleagues and friends rather than the more scripted approach we've adopted so far. And the other thing is we've had a number of people come to us offering to be guest podcasters, some very prominent people in the industry, doyens of CTP claims, <laughs> luminaries and, and the like. And that may be something we look at in the near future. Um, so stay tuned for that. Any final words, Fit? No, I'm I'm excited for the next fifty that that I'll take part in. Well, not necessarily in every podcast, but <laughs> I think it's a really valuable tool that I've found helpful for me, and I hope you've also found it too, listening to us. And right, excited for the next fifty and having more laughs along the way, and learning lots as well. So we've raised our bat and we've acknowledged the uh, getting to the half ton and now we'll put our heads down and bat towards the um, the century. So thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for your support for this podcast. We look forward to any feedback you have. We've had some great feedback over the, the months and um, episodes to date. And if you want to have any questions or if you want to volunteer to be a guest podcaster, please let us know. Until next time, thanks very much again for listening. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.